It's just after 8 o'clock in the big city. It's time for America's favorite Las Vegas sports show, Sports X Radio with Ken Thompson. <laughs> yeah. What up? Party's going on. Duh. Going to a party. Sports X Radio with Ken Thompson is brought to you by Hannah Shea Boyle and Rappaputi. Trial lawyers that get results. Visit PSBRLaw.com. Steiner's Pub, a true Nevada-style pub with three locations. One on Cheyenne, one on Buffalo, and one on the south end of the Strip. Steiner's Pub. We love this place. Preventative Diagnostic Center. Book your non-invasive scan to day for peace of mind visit pdcenterlv.com rob ritchie farmers insurance 702-335-5744 702-335-5744 so get ready because sports x radio with ken thompson starts now now all right, KT, on a Friday fiasco, not a football fiasco, not a true football fiasco, but we've got uh, Bad Beat Bros, Dan Saley going to be here. We'll talk some Big 12 football a little bit later, but some more basketball, because NBA basketball, of course, the NBA Summer League right in our backyard. But PSPR Law Studios is where we originate Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. Of course, Steiner's Pub on Wednesday nights, and a great show in store for you. Producer Mark Hoke, he's in his glory. Well, not yet. He's one out away, and... Uh, Oh, he's in his glory. Okay, so it is final. Orioles got it done, so we'll hear a little magic music. Had to go an extra inning there in Minnesota, but took care of business. So uh, the O's, a couple wins in a row now. That's good news, and uh, we'll get to that. You'll recognize one of those songs. Hopefully, if you don't like the song, just bet on the team. If you bet on the team, you hear the song that you don't like, at least you're making some money. And then, you know, uh, Mark Hoke, one of these times, I'm going to film him. Tracy Murray got a kick out of it yesterday when he's doing the spelling out Orioles with his body language and uh it is a uh, a routine that you've got to see to believe it is uh i don't know it's undescribable is really the best way to do it so we'll have to video it and get it out there but psbr law the best in personal injury for a long time southern california year number four here in the vegas valley strength by your side the relentless pursuit of justice brian panish senior partner panish shea boyle rabbit psbr law and uh that number you got down to 702 for vegas 830-9353 830-9353 Nine three five three. The best in personal injury may not need him now. May need him in the future. Great show in store for you. KT able to stop over at the uh, NBA Summer League and uh, got there for the second half of the Rockets game against the Blazers. And Jabari Smith, my goodness, Jabari Smith going off big time, and uh, he hits a three at the buzzer. Ball was in the air. Light went on on the backboard. Ball drops. And it was good enough to give Portland, I believe, or boy, I'm trying to remember. If I, no, the Rockets, uh, a 100-99 win over the Blazers. Excellent game. Blazers led pretty much the whole way. And uh, media, that place was packed. So, you know, I was fortunate to get a seat there. And then I got to take in a little bit of Victor Wembanyama's debut. And I watched the young man, seven foot three and a half out of France. And I got to watch him and... Uh, yeah, he's, uh, you know, a lanky character to say the least, seven, three and a half. Wingspan is ridiculous. So I, I put out a little tweet there when I was leaving uh, Thomas and Max. I got to watch a little bit of him, but he was nervous. You could see how nervous the kid was. Missed, uh, you know, several shots and warm-ups that he probably normally makes, but shot some air balls. 
And I could just feel nervous energy because Thomas and Mac was packed. So I'm praying for Kevin Kruger and, of course, Lon Kruger going into the College Hall of Fame or the uh, Basketball Hall of Fame. But I'm praying that UNLV gets a crowd like they had at the NBA Summer League today for Victor Wembanyama's debut. 23,000, whatever it is that Thomas and Mac holds, all the seats were taken. They were sold out, and I'm sure you're going to see more of the same on Sunday when the uh, Spurs are in action. And uh, it's going to be like that throughout the NBA Summer League. So it goes all the way till the 17th. We'll see how the Spurs fare as a team. A couple other guys got hurt. A couple guys from the G League, Henderson, who played with the G League Ignite right here in Henderson. He got hurt. And then uh, Amon Thompson also hurt his ankle. Shoulder injury there for Henderson. So uh, we'll uh, check in on those injuries, keep an eye on them. But some real talent there at the Summer League. But Wembenyama struggling mightily. And I'm going to get with uh, our guest, special NBA veteran, Last night, Tracy Murray in studio. Tonight, we go back just a little further than Tracy. Old school, when KT was you know, growing up watching great basketball. I'm telling you, this guy was on. He was a starter on one of the uh, best teams, I think, you know, that I ever got to see. And I'm just bummed out you know, for that area, for the Milwaukee area and the state of Wisconsin, that that team was kind of broken up there with Jabbar ending up going out to uh, L.A. to join the Lakers. But we will keep an eye on the Summer League. Let me just uh, go real quick. Quick to the uh, Richard Badge and Finley Toyota out of town scoreboard before I bring on John McLaughlin. Uh, five to one, Arizona leads Pittsburgh. That's top six. Mets have just tied it up top five at San Diego at Petco. So we'll keep an eye there. Colorado shutting out San Francisco. It's early up in the Bay. Two nothing bottom four. Everything final in the American League with the Orioles getting that 3-1 win at Minnesota and the one game still going. Interleague, it was 4 nothing Dodgers, but the Halos have put up a three spot in the four. So it's 4-3. to three. No Trout. No Rendon, no Otani. I mean, this team is in a lot of trouble right now, and it'll be uh, interesting to see what happens with this Angel squad going forward. They better get healthy in a hurry. Otherwise, Otani could be on the way out the door. We'll see how everything fares. But we will get back to the scoreboard. There is one game going CFL, still going 245 to go fourth quarter. Blue Bombers of Winnipeg trying to cover the 8.5. They're up by 10, 21-11, total 46.5, but again, only 245 left. So the under looks good. We'll see if Winnipeg holds on to that cover. Everything final in the WNBA, and I thought there was a chance that the Aces could lose. This is the second time all season that they've lost. They're 17-2 and two now, back-to-back games. Remember, they had the back-to-back games against Connecticut. They lost that second game. This was not – both those games were in Connecticut, well, Tuesday and a Thursday – this was a home-and-home home with Dallas, and the Wings led here in Vegas. Ace is still undefeated here in Vegas, but Dallas led that game by seven points in the fourth quarter. Ace is able to come back and win. Dallas got him tonight, 80-78 to 78 the final. Uh, Aces were minus 10, so Dallas an easy cover there. Total 177 stays well under, 80-78 to 78 the final score there. So the Aces dropped their second game. The defending champs will get to that. All that stuff later, but right, right now I want to take uh, an opportunity to welcome a special guest in, and again, I watched this guy play. I didn't get to see him in college. I was only a few years old then, but I would have liked to watch him play college ball because back in the day and still, one of the greatest traditions is Indiana basketball. All about the Hoosiers. I mean, that's, you know, you get Kentucky, you get, you know, all these schools, but Indiana's real, and this is right before the Bobby Knight era started. John McLaughlin over there in Bloomington. And uh, pretty solid career. And I watched the way he started out first year, 4.6 points, then getting up to almost 13 points, then over 17 points and really starting to excel. And if you go back and you 
uh, maybe catch some highlights of John McLaughlin. He was ahead of his time. You see the way Steph Curry arcs that ball. So he's able to hit those long-distance threes, but you see the arc, right? Now, remember, World Be Free, Lloyd Free, you know, had that incredible arc. But John McLaughlin really had that high-arcing shot. And together with Jabbar, Bobby Dandridge, Oscar Robertson, I mean, what a great team this was. World champions. But we welcome him here to Sportex Radio for the first time. John McLaughlin, you got to run into my wife, Christina, there in Wisconsin. And I was kind of happy uh, that you took the call yesterday. And I said, John, I'd love to get you on whenever works for your schedule. And you said, well, what do you got? And I said, well, it's going to be a little bit later for you because you're central time. But I could get you near the top of the show right around 10, 15, your time. And you said, okay, KT, let's go. Let's go for it. So, John, welcome to Sportex Radio. Great to have you on a Friday night. Well, Ken, in the first place... Uh, I, I met the better part of you before I met you, so that's your wife, there and you she's go. the one that put us together, so you owe her a handshake for me, okay? Oh, you got it, no question. That lady will get more than a handshake from me there, John. I can, <laughs> yeah. Big kiss. So listen, uh, I've been listening to you, and I want to say this right out of the box. I've done a lot of interviews in my life, as you can imagine, and uh, I'm very impressed with your style, the way you deliver, your knowledge. <laughs> we had a discussion the other yesterday and your knowledge of course you grew up in the new york area so i would expect great knowledge um so i'm happy to be on with you ken yeah there's no doubt i mean you know dad was a was a a big sports fan and grew up going to knicks games he grew he's from brooklyn so he grew up going to knicks games and ranger hockey games and was a big brooklyn dodgers fan used to be one of those not whole kids watching the games because they couldn't afford to get in through the holes in the fence there in brooklyn and so it was a hand-me-down. Mom was from Reading, PA, so we kind of ended up in North Jersey. So Central Jersey, you know, Ocean County South, most people root for Philly teams. Central uh, Ocean County North, most people root for the New York teams. And that's where I ended up in Essex County, New Jersey, and uh, a great place to be from. Glad I grew up there, but was born in Reading, PA, but really loved NBA basketball. And I told you this uh, yesterday, when I was growing up and my great uncle was coaching in the five boroughs, he coached baseball, uh, basketball and managed baseball for 42 years. And a lot of great players, John Candelaria, he coached in baseball and Connie Hawkins in basketball and just a lot of really solid ball players. A lot of them that maybe, you know, didn't get to that next level as far as NBA, but played division one uh, basketball, a lot of them. And, you know, it was just great traveling the boroughs and really getting acclimated to the game while I was seven, eight years old and really enjoyed it. And, and I told you, I ran into Gene Shue back when I got out of the service in San Diego, and the San Diego Clippers were there, of course, and, and uh, then they moved up to L.A., and Gene became the, the coach there of the, uh, the Clippers for a little bit. But I, I was sitting down with him at the warehouse restaurant, Marina Del Rey, and I told him, I said, I said, Coach Shue, I said, the greatest games I ever remember really were the early 70s, you know, late 60s, early 70s. I go, man, that was, that was just great basketball because we remember who won the NBA title, but there were so many playoff games that were like right there for the take. They were nip and tuck, and there were so many equally matched teams. And the Baltimore Bullets, who you guys ended up beating for the title when you won it in 71, uh, that team and the New York Knicks, I mean, they almost always went seven games, six, seven games, and every game seemed to be right there for the taking for either side. So I really enjoyed that basketball when I was growing up. And, of course, if you got past the Bullets, sometimes then the Celtics were there or vice versa, and uh, the Sixers. I mean, it was really fun basketball. But you were part of that Milwaukee Bucks team. But before we get to that, John, let's go back to Indiana because you're an Indiana kid. And it's got to be the biggest thrill ever back in the day to play for the Indiana Hoosiers because basketball is life back there. 
Well, it sure it sure was in that era, and I think it still is. But in my era, it was way before the class system and um, Indiana basketball. I've read some uh, you know background on this. I think between uh, the mid '50s and the early '70s was the uh, was the height of Indiana basketball in terms of attendance, and of course that covered Oscar Robertson at Christmas Attics in '56, and then on to uh, the Van Arsdale Twins, who are my best buddies, and we played together at Indiana. And so, growing up in that environment, Ken, uh, I was just I was a basketball player, and out on my dirt court in my backyard from the from the day I can remember, and. And, you know, four years of varsity basketball in high school, uh, I, I never remember playing in, in a gymnasium, home or on the road, that wasn't sold out. So, the, and, and there'd be in the summer, you know, 20 guys in my backyard or somebody else's backyard at a dirt court playing basketball. It was just the way it was. And I, I never thought about professional basketball at that time. Uh, because it wasn't that luring. There were only nine teams, uh, no money. You didn't have much exposure. All I wanted was a college scholarship and a, a college degree. And so when the schools started coming after me, my freshman and sophomore and junior and senior years, they, they started coming as a freshman. But it was all the big schools. And and my my dad was at that time a taxi cab driver in a small town. So Money was, you know, scarce. You didn't have much, but you didn't know you didn't. Uh, we just played basketball, and I had a pair of jeans. And so that environment was wonderful. And I've had people call me, and especially a, a man recently that wanted to write a book on Indiana basketball players, the top players out of the state over the years, about their small-town experience, playing and growing up in a small-town Indiana. And there were so many stories that people can tell about the intensity of uh, high school basketball in Indiana. It was a privilege going up there and I growing up there and I, I was recruited all around the country, but I think at the end of the day, I always knew I was going to go to IU, Indiana University and play for Branch McCracken, which I did. There you go. All right. So let's stay there because the movie Hoosiers comes out and it's about a small town team, the Hickory team and all that and Hinkle Fieldhouse and of course, the uh, you know the traditional gym that's still there, and uh, Butler, of course, uh, that's their home court. But it's something about that state of Indiana when you get to those state playoffs, and it didn't much matter. But you talked about shooting from you know on, on the dirt out back, and you know you were just happy. So you were that Joey Chitwood guy. You were the guy that oh, you well. knew, you knew you were going to make that shot. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about high school basketball playing and then getting, you know, just to go to the States because that's that's just something that, you know, every kid's dream in Indiana is like, you know what, we just want to be a good high school team. We just want to get to the, you know, the playoffs and, and go as far as we can. And like you said, you're playing in front of, in front of packed houses all over the state. 100%. And uh, uh, being inducted into the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame is – is almost, not quite, almost as good as the big Hall of Fame, uh, which I would never make. But it's, it's, that's the way it is when you grow up in Indiana. It's it just, it's remarkable. And um, the experiences of the, the Milan, it was actually Milan, which was called uh, Hickory in the movie. It's a true story. 
mm-hmm. and it was in 1954, and it was Milan, um, and a guy that made the shot was not Chip Chipwood, but um, Bobby Plump, and he, he's as big in Indiana as Oscar and John, and John Wooden, and quite frankly, Milan in the afternoon game of the semifinals, they had to beat Oscar and Christmas Addicts to get to the finals. Wow. And Oscar, who has, I played with for five years and is a friend of mine, he told me uh, when we would talk about Indiana basketball that he says, John, I don't think they would have made it had we had two of our next stars after him hurt, one from football and one uh, from basketball. And he said, if they'd have been there, we probably would have beaten Milan and there'd be no movie. But the movie is, it's a, I think many people think it's the best sports movie of all time, and certainly in the top five. And the best part of it is it's, it's based on a true story. So growing up in that environment was wonderful. I mean, John Wooden, way before me, but grew up in a town just 20 miles from my hometown, and we were in the same conference. Mm. And uh, John Wooden once told me, I talked to him a number of times, that we were together uh, at a number of things, and he's my hero coach ever. He told me, he said, John, he knew who my history teacher was. His name was Fuzzy Robert Vandiver, and that he was the best player in the state for four years. And Wooden told me that Fuzzy was the best player, or was one of the best players he ever played against, coached, or saw. And and he was my history teacher. And those teams were back in the early 20s. Uh, I think John Wooden uh, graduated from high school at 26 or 7. But that's kind of more built on the history of what you talk about. I could tell you stories for hours about growing up there and what a privilege it was. No doubt about it. And, of course, uh, when you look at the roster for Indiana basketball back when you were playing there, only five guys from out of state. I mean, everybody was there. Most of the roster was from Indiana. That's how big time Indiana basketball was. And it was tough to be somebody that would be recruited from outside the state because it was such a talent-rich state that you didn't have to go outside the Hoosier state. Well, it's true. And and I I have to say this, and you and I talked about it. The other two guys on that team that went there the same year I did and played the same years, who were my best friends and roomed together, are the Van Arsdale twins, Mm -hmm. Tom and Dick. And, of course, they had 12-year careers in the NBA, both of them, I think, four-time All-Stars, and uh, my buddies. And we grew up 10 miles apart and really didn't know each other that well until we um, decided to go to Indiana and did. And here's the interesting thing about it, I think, why McCracken had so many Indiana guys, especially on our team. Um, When we went to Indiana, they were on probation. Uh, It was the football program with illegal recruiting that put IU on the probation. And so for McCracken to get Tom and Dick, especially who were the top athletes and basketball players in the country to be recruited that year, and and me too as well, and Steve Redenball, our other guard, that's why he had so many Indiana guys, and he tried to get us a center. We didn't have a center of real significance on that team, and he tried to get us a center and could never land one. He tried to get a couple of guys out of um, junior college, and then when they came, he felt like they wouldn't mix with us. And, 
And so had we had a team like that uh, with a center, we might have been better because in those days only the Big Ten champion went to the tournament. And I think there were only 16 teams in the tournament. And so Michigan beat us at Indiana by, I think, one point uh, because we missed our free throws and they beat us. And they went to the NCAA, played UCLA in the finals, lost to UCLA, and that was Gail Goodrich going off for 42 against Cassie Russell at Michigan. Great stuff. Cassie Russell was just yeah. talking about him. Going to take a quick break. John McLaughlin is our guest. We're going to keep him. Got some basketball to talk about. What a great career. And for you folks that may be a little bit younger, you want to listen to this man. This man not only played at Indiana, played in the NBA for years, but also broadcasting many, many years there. Milwaukee Bucks and uh, the TV guy. And wow, what a storybook career. John McLaughlin, our guest, SportsX Radio on a Friday fiasco. We'll come back. We'll keep things rolling. Producer Mark Hoke, of course, his show coming up Sunday, the best in professional wrestling. Tracy Murray in studio yesterday and uh, ran into Junkyard Dog. He was talking about Jerome Williams, ran into Jerome today at the gym. He was there leaving with his two boys and uh, taking in the NBA Summer League. Wembenyama, just so you uh, understand the pressure of uh, that this kid's under, his first game Last I saw, he was 1 of 9 from the floor, 0 of 4 from 3, and had a few points. I think he had 4 or 5 points, 7 rebounds. So not going to be easy. It is what it is. But we're going to continue talking with John McLaughlin, SportsX Radio 101.5 FM, Dawn streaming live on that Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Download it now. We're live from Vegas. We're coming right back. KT back on a Friday fiasco. Mark Hoke spinning the hits. And uh, that's uh, Mark and I were talking. I was listening to some of the bumper music he was going to play tonight. And I said, man, that's uh, that's one of those albums you can listen to the whole album. It was a great album, Rumors, Fleetwood Mac, back in the day. And I said, man, I said, Mark, there's so many albums like that that you could put on and you can listen to the whole thing. You didn't have to worry about running back and, and only listening to one or two or three songs. And as it got later, as I got into like the 90s and then afterwards, I think there were only a select few albums that I'd listen to the whole album to where maybe you'd have three, four, five songs that you liked at the most and uh, really enjoyed the music back then. But Fleetwood Mac was uh, fantastic. And that Rumors album, one of the best of all times. John McLaughlin, our guest, Ken Thompson, uh, right here on a Friday fiasco, SportsX Radio 101.5 FM, Dawn streaming live on that Odyssey app. My beautiful wife, Christina, is back in her hometown in Wisconsin and her home state, really, and going around the state and uh, visiting a bunch of her friends from high school and whatnot. And she was with uh, her cousin, Andy, and uh, and his wife, uh, Donna, and they were at the same restaurant that John McLaughlin happened to be at. And uh, Christy went up, introduced herself, and then, of course, gave him a SportsX radio card. And uh, she was able to get John's number. I was able to call him and talk to him and said, uh, I know there's a time difference. Will you be able to uh, stay up late for SportsX radio? Because there's a lot of basketball enthusiasts and there's a lot of historians out there that listen to my show and have been listening for years and years and this is year number 20 here in Vegas but in year number 15 on K-Dawn out here the oldest station in Vegas and so when I get people like Tracy Murray that covered last night I mean that was just epic radio it was great to have him in studio but when I talk to John McLaughlin this is this is the era I grew up these are this is the time that I'm growing up and really getting in 
to New York Knickerbocker basketball and the NBA, and I loved it back then, more so than I do now. I think it's too commercialized now. It is what it is. There's a lot of talent, but the kids don't play for the love of the game to me the way that they did back then. And like John, you heard him talking, look, it was everything to play Indiana basketball and to be a Hoosier. That was huge to grow up in the Hoosier State and make it on that team in Bloomington. You had to be darn good. And when you see the uh, the uh, picture of the championship Bucks team that we'll get to, I don't know how John was able to pull it off, but I did notice he's the only white guy sitting in the front row. He's next to Kareem. So I, I'll, get, I'll get to that a little bit later. We'll have some fun with that, John. But uh, going back to Indiana basketball, please do me a favor because everybody knows pretty much of the general, Bobby Knight. But you talked about Emmett B. Branch McCracken. He was your coach. Tell everybody a little bit about this guy because he started at Ball State. He was there for eight, nine years, and then he goes and takes over the Hoosiers. And this guy was a winner, won a couple championships, got you to the, uh, you know, the uh, f- several Big Ten uh, conference uh, tournament uh, victories and, you know, just fabulous. And uh, you were a cons- he was a consensus All-American back in 1930 himself, but he also was an Indiana guy. Uh, from Monrovia, Indiana. So tell me a little bit about Coach and what it was like playing for this guy because everybody hears the stories about Bobby Knight. But Coach McCracken, he looked like a tough son of a gun too. You know, it's really nice that you you went through that, Ken, because uh, those of us that played then, Tom and Dick and I, uh, as I told you, they're my best buddies. And um, we we see each other and we talk, even though they they live in Phoenix and I live uh, outside of Milwaukee. Um, But we would... We we would get to Phoenix quite a bit and, and get together when we owned a home out there and and we talk about that because you see even people at Indiana because a lot of McCracken's people are gone older but um, a lot of people talk about night like there was nothing before night and Branch McCracken was an institution he was as well known as Bobby Knight uh, in the basketball world he was an impressive man. Six four, white hair, deep voice, um, very impressive guy, and um, I think uh, one of the reasons and and had great success, as you said, in in uh, I think it was fifty three and fifty four, they won the NCAA championship with Slick Bobby Leonard as his main guard on that team with All American Don Slunt, and and people forget about that. They just talk about night. Well, there was a, a lot of basketball and success basketball at indiana before bob knight yeah he actually and, um, his t- his championships i just uh, i don't want to don't want to correct the great john mclaughlin but 1940 and 1953 those were his two championships those were at 40 and 53 gotcha and and slick Leonard was on the 53 40 i don't really know who was on that team uh i wasn't born till 43 but that was still a long time ago and but when i, I mentioned to you that i, I was recruited by I don't know 102 schools and and they would come in and watch me play and they'd want to come to my house and talk to us and and the night well McCracken came more than once uh, when I was a sophomore or a freshman he came to see another guy on our team that was a really good player and and when he left he made a statement to the media that he wasn't interested in recruiting that guy but he was coming back for me and he came back for me and I. I think that I knew in my heart that, man, I, I, I was going to play at Indiana for McCracken. But I did do some other visits, gave some consideration to some other schools. But when you grew up there 50 miles away, my parents could come to all the games, and so could Tom and Dix. 
and um, therefore playing there was and being a student at Indiana. I I'm a I'm a big proponent of uh, the university there. It's a beautiful school, and um, for you guys out there, uh, it's fifty fifty. Fifty percent of them are the women too. So you get that side of it, but. Um, you know, when you grow up in Indiana and you're the player that I got to be and and be recruited like that and then go to IU, it was pretty special. No doubt about it. John McLaughlin, our guest, SportsX Radio on a Friday fiasco. Dan Saley, hour number two. We're going to talk some Big 12 football. But right now, NBA Summer League in town. So a lot of basketball talk the last several nights and throughout up until the 17th, we'll have the NBA Summer League here in town. Uh, McCracken, by the way, Coach McCracken, how about uh, inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame back in 1960 and then the College Basketball Hall of Fame 2006? Uh, but pretty amazing that we all, if we were born after uh, Coach McCracken and, and didn't know Indiana basketball back when John McLaughlin was playing in the early 60s, that, you know, again, we assumed, like he said, that Bobby Knight was the guy. He was the guy that put Indiana basketball on the map. But when you look at Coach Branch McCracken, his overall record, and again, I told you he started at Ball State, 450 wins, 231 losses. I mean, that is impressive. That is great stuff. And that, of course, then the uh, there was an interim well, a coach there for a couple of years, and then Knight ends up taking over. So you had two coaches with – Incredible track records, incredible wins, and uh, really putting and keeping, you know, Coach McCracken getting the, the school there on the map, but then uh, Knight keeping it there for a long time. And we remember the great 76 team with Scott May and, and Benson and those guys. That was a, a lot of fun as well. But, John McLaughlin, you were ahead of your time with that high arcing shot. How did you develop that shot? Who taught you to shoot that shot? Or was that just a shot that that you felt comfortable with? And, again, this is back before the three-pointer. Had John McLaughlin been playing NBA basketball or college basketball with the three-pointer, my goodness, you, you know, between you and guys like Jerry Lucas and, and DeBusher and Bradley, I mean, you guys would have lit it up and, and gotten a lot more points and pistol Pete Maravich for the love of God. Mike, it's unbelievable how many points you guys would have scored because you're shooting from three point range most of the time anyway. Well, you're right, KT. And, and let me, let me say this to you that, um, I, I played center in high school every game for four years, except one play the final game of the year that I played guard. And it was a triple overtime, two sudden death against the number two team in the state. And uh, the coach called me to play a guard, take the shot. I got about a 20, I don't know, 22, 23-footer. Won the game with, and 30 point, I had 30 points in the game. It was the greatest game I've ever played in because of the dynamics of the overtime. But here's my point. That's the only time I played guard, four years in high school. So, and I'm, I'm obviously at 6'5", a guard in the NBA. Well, when McCracken recruited me, he said to me and my parents, he said, I want to make John a guard. Now, I don't know where that came from, other than probably the Lord. Maybe God sent that down because McCracken somehow saw a guard in a guy that played center and shot 15-foot turnaround jump shots for four years. And I was 23 points a game my senior year in high school just playing center and shooting turnaround jump shots. So he decides to make me a guard, which I go to Indiana, I'm playing guard. And we had Tom and Dick Van Arsdale as the forwards, so I didn't have to play much forward. And 
then he would throw me in and out of the center, depending on the offense, depending on what we needed to do. But I was a guard. So now that was in 61. So go to 65 when my senior year and I graduate, I'm drafted by the Cincinnati Royals. And obviously I'm a guard. So I go to training camp. I have to make it through rookie camp. I have, they drafted seven guards. I made it one guard, one job. And I go to training camp, and I'm playing with Jack Twyman and Wayne Embry and Oscar Robertson and Tom Hawkins and Adrian Smith from the Fiddle and Five. And um, we do these shooting drills, and Coach Jack McMahon, who I owe a lot to, would pair me with Jack Twyman. And that was Twyman's last year as a pro, but he had been a perennial all-star mm-hmm. forward, about six seven. Well, we'd shoot these shooting games of 21 against each the other guys who got there first. No one ever beat us. And I started realizing, well, gee, I, I guess I'm a pretty good shooter. I, so then I go in the Army and have to do basic training and get into a unit, so reserve unit. It was during Vietnam. Then I'm expanded to San Diego, and Jack McMahon, my coach in Cincinnati, picked me to go to San Diego with him. I go to San Diego. I'm averaging about 15 a game. I I tear an arch, muscle in my arch, and miss some games. And at the end of the year, I decided um, I want to I want to be put up in expansion again. So I went to McMahon and the owner and said, "Will you put me up in expansion?" And they said, "Sure." And the reason I wanted to is McMahon was never happy with the guards. So it would be a new guard lineup every night. And I realized, well, the reason is he just coached Oscar for 10 years. <laughs> and and we were not Oscar Robertsons. <laughs> as good as any of us thought we were, we weren't Oscar. So I thought, I better get out of there. Milwaukee picks me. I come here, Larry Costello's a coach. He builds the offense around me. And for the first time in my life, I really realized I'm a heck of a shooter. They started writing about how I could shoot, started writing, and I'm averaging almost 20 a game as that that year and make the all-star team. But that's when I really realized, well, I can really shoot. I guess I never thought of it. And then as time went on, that became my, you know, my notoriety as a, as a great shooter. And people will say, John, how many points would you have scored if they had a three-point line? I don't know. But I will tell you this, KT, more. No, no. <laughs> I would have averaged more. <laughs> there is no doubt about it. And I, I look back at so many shooters back in that era, and I just so man, I just wonder what those guys would have averaged. We have John McLaughlin with us. We're going to get him back on the show. But what I'm going to do, I'm keeping him up just a little bit late. It's, of course, back uh, almost 11 o'clock back in Wisconsin but we're going to take a quick break. We're going to keep him for about eight more minutes. We'll get into this Milwaukee Bucks championship team, and then we'll get John back on sometime when he has another hour that he can uh, stick around and talk with us here at SportsX Radio because a phenomenal career, not just high school and college, but the NBA as well, and then broadcasting, and we'll do that the next time. But we want to talk about this Bucks team, how special it was back in the early 70s, and one of the greatest teams I think ever put together, and it was a lot of fun, that team, and I just wondered – like, how was this team not together to win four or five titles that they probably could have gotten had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar stayed there in Milwaukee? We're live from Vegas, 101.5 FMK, Dawn. Take our final break here of hour number one. Come back with John McLaughlin. 
great stuff here and really appreciate John taking time out for SportsX Radio on a Friday fiasco. Live PSBR Law Studios, streaming live on that Odyssey app. A-U-D-A-C-Y, download that sucker now. My producer, Mark Hoke, takes us to break. We'll be right back. It's not a throwback Thursday, but Mark Hope throwing on the uh, hits here on a Friday fiasco. KT talking basketball with John McLaughlin, starting five Milwaukee Bucks, but he was a great Indiana Hoosier and, of course, played his high school ball in Indiana as well. And uh, my wife, Christina, back in Wisconsin, able to run into John. And first of uh, hopefully many times he's going to be on SportsX Radio because this guy has lived a basketball life. And so many stories. And that's the great thing. That's what I love. You heard Tracy Murray talking stories last night. You hear all these different stories with different guests. Look, I love the sports gaming angle. I love handicapping the games. I've been doing that for freaking 40 years growing up in Jersey and all that stuff. I love that just because I like to use my noggin and see if I can figure things out, like kind of playing a game of chess. But there's nothing better than talking about real-life humanitarian stories and uh, just great stuff. So John McLaughlin, we'll finish up with you and then get you back on sometime soon. we got about five minutes, but John, tell everybody a little bit about that, that championship team with Jabbar and you, of course, part of that uh, championship starting five and what a great team it was with Bobby Dandridge, Lucius Allen. I mean, so many Oscar Robertson, you talked about him. I mean, what a fun team. It was, it, it was a great team. Now we were an expansion team in 68, so 68-69 season, uh, we were an expansion team, won 27 games, which was more than any other expansion team. And then the next year, we got Kareem in the draft. Uh, we won a coin flip with Phoenix, and we we got Lou Alcindor. So he came, and we went from 27 wins to, I think, 55 wins. Same team, but then Lou. <laughs> and then the next year, they make a trade, we get Oscar, and we win a championship in the third third year of the uh, Milwaukee Bucks franchise. So it happened fast, happened fairly easily. I don't know that the state and the city were really ready for it. Uh, they didn't even have a, a, a parade for us. <laughs> it just kind of passed. But that team was, the minute we, we got Oscar, I've been asked this question a lot about it, the minute they traded for Oscar, we guys on the team we knew we were the team to beat and from the day we went to training camp and that's how it turned out. And it was a, it was a remarkable season. No one was injured. Uh, everything went well. We had different long winning streaks of like 12 games, 15 games. And then we had one streak of 20 wins without a loss. And then of course, and your Knicks had won 18 the year before, Mm -hmm. which, which was a, a league record. Then we set the record at 20. And then the next year, the Lakers come in and go 33. 33 yeah. And we beat them on national television to stop their streak actually. in in, uh, 72, I think it was. Yeah. 72. And, um, and so, but our team was, was we, we, people have asked me about it. And first of all, we had two of the 10 greatest players of all time, Kareem and Oscar. And then we had the role players, you know, I could shoot it. And Bobby Dandridge was a great defender. Greg Smith was our other starting forward, who was probably the best athlete on the team. And, you know, you, you mentioned this 
uh, Ken, about um, Kareem leaving and would we have won more championships. Quite frankly, after that championship year, for some reason, the ownership, uh, the leadership of our club decided to make some changes, and they they traded Greg Smith and Dick Cunningham. They asked Bob Boozer to retire. Um, they had me come in off the bench instead of starting, and we faltered the next two years until 74 when we went back to the finals again. And then Kareem left in 75. Uh, but the good thing about that team was I wouldn't say we were all very close off the floor. We were so different. But when we walked into the gym or the or the stadium or the arena or whatever, uh, everything was checked at the door and, and we took care of business. And it was a very professional team that did its job. And I'm proud of that. And, and that's, was during the era where the Knicks were so good. Uh, even though Baltimore beat them and we played Baltimore in the finals, I think the Knicks were the next best team in the NBA to the Bucks that year. So we didn't play them in the finals, and I'm kind of glad about that because that Knicks team was a monster. Yeah, no doubt. And, of course, the last time the Knicks won it, I mean, the early 70s when they had Monroe and Frazier in the backcourt, but in 69-70 when they had uh, Dick Barnett and Frazier, and of right. course Bradley DeBusher, uh, the 72-73 team, they had Jerry Lucas and his uh, long shots, the Lucas bombs, those would get Chamberlain from out under the boards and, and give the Knicks a chance to get maybe a couple putbacks, and so it was a lot of Red Holtzman uh, coaching and, and just great chemistry, and there were so many teams like that, your Bucks team, the Lakers team, the Celtics teams, the, the Bullets teams, I mean the Knicks teams chemistry amongst those teams like you said different personalities didn't always get along off the court but on the court like you said they checked their personalities at the door and they just played for the love of the game and there were so many great games John McLaughlin and I really appreciate you taking time out of your night but we'll do it again on another night where we can get you for an hour and uh, and just talk some more stories because I know you've lived that basketball life and you've got so many things to share with our audience, and we've got that audience. Our demographic is 35 to 85, so those are the people that want to listen to these stories, and I really appreciate you taking time out of your Friday night, John. Well, Ken, you're really good at what you do, and I enjoy it, and I'm happy to be there and give my best to your wife. She's the one that put us together. Go for her. There you go, Christy. And, uh, yeah, and I, I hope to get the Van Arsdales on as well because we got our house down in Phoenix, so hopefully we'll be able to connect with them as well. But, John, thank you so much. We'll talk to you down the line. God bless, my man. Have a great weekend. You got it, man. My pleasure. There Bye. you go. John McLaughlin, starting five Milwaukee Bucks championship team, but uh, just a great basketball player and had that high-arcing shot ahead of his time. And, uh, well, you know what? Maybe not ahead of his time. You know, you say that sometimes, but he fit right where he was supposed to fit and a great basketball career. And then, like I told you, a long time broadcasting with that Milwaukee Bucks team. Did a lot of TV. And I don't, don't know on the radio side, but he did a lot of TV for years, for decades there, for the Milwaukee Bucks. Hour number one in the books. Come back. Dan Saley, our guest. Little Friday football fiasco. Hour number two. Talk a little Big 12 football. We are live from Vegas. PSBR Law Studios in Las Vegas. 101.5 FM. K-Dawn streaming live on that Odyssey app. It is Ken Thompson. It is producer Mark Hoke. You're listening to SportsX Radio. We'll be right back live from Vegas.
Welcome back from halftime. It's just after 9 o'clock in the big city. Time to continue America's favorite Las Vegas sports show. Sports X Radio with Ken Thompson. <laughs> yeah. What up? Party's going on. Duh. Going to a party. Sports X Radio with Ken Thompson is brought to you by Hannah Shea Boyle and Rabapudi. Trial lawyers that get results. Visit PSBRLaw.com. Steiner's Pub, a true Nevada-style pub with three locations. One on Cheyenne, one on Buffalo, and one on the south end of the Strip. Steiner's Pub. We love this place. Preventative Diagnostic Center. Book your non-invasive scan today. Day for peace of mind. Visit pdcenterlv.com. Rob Ritchie, Farmers Insurance, 702-335-5744. 702-335-5744. So get ready because Sports X Radio with Ken Thompson starts now. now. All right, hour number two, Friday football fiasco now here in the second half. Friday fiasco overall. John McLaughlin, our guest, hour number one, former Milwaukee Buck and Indiana Hoosier, and uh, great NBA stuff going on in Vegas all the way through the 17th, the NBA Summer League, sold out Thomas and Mack. That's why I went there early, because I knew Wembenyama was going to start around 6 o'clock. Game actually went a little bit later, started a little bit later because of the uh, good game between Houston and Portland. Buzzer beater there, Jabari Smith hitting a game winner at the buzzer and a good little comeback there and, and uh one point game. So you don't always get to see buzzer beaters in summer league and you got, you know, free agents, you've got, uh, you know, rookies and draft, you know, guys that are getting, being drafted and then other guys trying to find spots on teams. And uh, you never know, but a couple injuries to a couple G league guys, Henderson and Thompson, uh, both getting hurt respectively with the uh, shoulder injury there. Uh, for Henderson, and then uh, it was a uh, ankle injury there for Amon Thompson. So we'll we'll check on those and uh, get you updated. Uh, Monday, Jose Volante and uh, producer Mark Hoke back in the house. KT will be back on Tuesday. Looking forward to that. And then uh, I will be in L.A. next Friday, so no Friday fiasco next week for KT, but we will pick it up the following week. I may have uh, Dan Saley on uh, earlier in the week, maybe uh, hour number two from Steiner's Pub. I'll get him out there and buy him dinner. See if we uh, can talk the other part of the Big 12 on Wednesday. Because whenever you try to rush, you know, a conference with, you know, 12 or 14 teams and try to get it in, you know, you take out commercials and whatnot, you're not going to give it service. Do, you know, give it its just due. So, uh, you know, I've got experts from college football that come on and uh, you'll get their different takes. Mark Lawrence, Brad Powers, and now Bad Beat Bros. That's how you can follow Dan Saley. S-A-L-E-Y, and Dan is back in studio. Good to have him. And uh, before I get with Dan, let me just get, I don't want to say get this out of the way because I do want to get this in here. It's very important, but the Preventative Diagnostic Center, one of KT's main sponsors, uh, 534-7900. Jot that number down. You know the 702-534-7900, 534-7900. We've got the only scanner of its kind in the region. Gives you early detection before signs and symptoms of more than two dozen ailments like heart disease and lung disease. Talking about pericarditis, myocarditis. They've got the software to detect this stuff. I mean, very, very important. A lot of uh, heart injuries over the last couple of years. You're seeing them, not just with athletes, but all over. I mean, the athletes get publicized or the uh, the rappers or the uh, the bodybuilders that have been dropping like flies. So, look, we don't know with all the stuff going on with hearts. So, 
do yourself justice and go down and get your heart checked out because they got that great heart CT scan and calcium score special. It's $125 for a $600 value. Significant other, absolutely free. The two of you get in there, get your heart checked out, and it's pretty awesome. Comfortable scan only takes a few minutes. You get a detailed report from a board-certified radiologist a few days later. So you can get all your organs checked out, but initially... Get in there, get that heart CT scan and calcium score. Then Mike and the crew uh, that work for Dr. John Pierce, they will give you the lowdown on how to get all of your organs checked out. And there's nothing like being proactive, right? Early detection is key. Get peace of mind. Take charge of your health. Preventive Diagnostic Center, 534-7900. PD Center. LV.com is the website, pdcenterlv.com. Go there. They got some FAQs. They've got some, uh, you know, FYI stuff there. But then set up that free educational consultation. You do that. You tell them Ken Thompson sent you 534-7900. And just know that they'll take all those risk factors into consideration. Your age, tobacco use, high blood pressure, high cholesterol or triglyceride levels, obesity, diabetes, family history of heart attack, lack of physical activity or high stress levels, all of that comes into the equation there at the Preventative Diagnostic Center under the watchful eye of Dr. John Pierce. All right, SportsX Radio, a little football here. Baylor Bears will be the first team we start with, but before we get going, Dan Saley, how has your week been? It's been fantastic. The 4th of July, you got to love celebrating Independence Day. There you go. Definitely Didn't... excited to be there. Are, are you a fireworks guy? Are you a guy out there for lighting the fireworks? Uh, no, I, I prefer to keep my fingers. There you go. Yeah. After after the yeah yeah Pierre Paul stuff uh, you, know, you know back in the day it's like yeah you know what I'll I'll leave that up to somebody professionals. else professionals leave that to the professionals there you go no question uh, yeah we don't we don't want to rush through but we'll get to uh, these seven teams here as far as the Big Twelve we'll start it off with the Baylor Bears my good buddy John Morris the voice of the Bears he's been coming on the show for years love John calls a great game and Waco a fun fun place to play football but you know they've had their ups and downs both on and off the field throughout uh, their history. And this Baylor Bear team, I don't know where they are with Coach Dave Aranda, who came over from LSU, defensive coordinator a couple years ago, and really, you know, did a nice job uh, the first time, but, you know, kind of caught up to him last year. Blake Shape in the quarterback uh, wasn't 100%. They have a transfer there. Sawyer Robertson comes over from Mississippi State. R.J. Martinez transfers in from Northern Arizona. Uh, you've got some grad transfers coming over on both sides of the ball, four on offense, three on defense. Talk to me a little bit about this Baylor Bear team. What do you see so far? Well, first, again, I'd like to say this is a you know first pass as we look at the conferences. I always do a first pass, and then in August after training camp, I kind of do my final. But this is the first way I'm looking at it. And Baylor, I find to be a bit of a conundrum, and they are better than their 6-7 and seven record they had last year. On offense, quarterback Blake Shapin, he had another year of development, and I think this could be when he could make a big leap. Wide receiver, they added uh, Arkansas transfer Keetron Jackson. He goes along with uh, Monterey Baldwin. Both of those guys actually averaged 17 yards a catch last year. But besides passing, really, running back is the strength of this team. They've got the Big 12 Offensive Freshman of the Year, Richard Reese. He's looking to improve, and that kid has a nose for the end zone. They also have Craig Williams, Quaylen Jones, and the Oklahoma State transfer Dominic Richardson. The question Question is about the offensive line. They did lose four starters, but I say don't fear. The Barrington brothers are here. That's right. Clark and Campbell, six foot six, 300 pounders that played well at BYU. And here's my question for you, Kenny. Can they become a cohesive unit, the offensive line that is, by week four when they face Texas? 
Yeah, there that that is that is the deal. I mean, you've got to get going before you uh, before you hit conference play. So they open with Texas State, and then they get Utah, and that's going to be a tough game. Now Utah come off the Florida game. They open up in Salt Lake City against Florida. That's a revenge game from last year, a game that. Utah probably should have won in Gainesville, but let get away. And, of course, that's Richardson's best game as a Florida Gator, now the quarterback, therefore, of the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, then Long Island, I don't even know how that gets on the schedule. I mean, that's that's absolutely ridiculous for Baylor fans. Like, I mean, after a Utah game at home and then, hey, we got Long Island coming in next week, people are like, what? I didn't even know Long Island had a team. And uh, But then you open up with Texas, and that is a big-time opener. So Aranda's going to have to gel this team together. Look, he's got – you know, some veterans. He doesn't have a ton of uh, grad transfers or, or just transfers in general. Most of them are seniors, but there are a couple juniors there and one uh, sophomore there, uh, nose tackle Boykins, onto the uh, defensive line. Oh, boy, I, 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 I don't know. The jury's out as far as for me on this Baylor team until I see improvement uh, based on consistency. And, of course, got to stay healthy. So if Shapin can do that, he's a redshirt junior. We'll see how he pans out. But uh, – you know, there's a lot of question marks on this team, kind of like the Raiders. And you're a Raider fan like me. A lot of question marks. Don't know. And uh, Dave Aranda hoping he can get this team back to what they were a couple years ago. Yeah. And on defense, uh, they have a new D coordinator, Matt Pallage. He was actually there the first two years of Aranda's reign. So I don't see any changes in any scheme. But the defensive line, they need improvement. They only had 24 sacks last year. The strength of the defense is the linebacker position. Matt Jones, Garmin Randolph, and they added a transfer from Liberty. Mike Smith, he had 85 tackles last year, and he's been making waves at spring practice, apparently. Uh, On the defensive backside, there is a lack of depth that has playing time. So during practice, especially spring practice and coming up, the coaches have been emphasizing turnovers, hoping to return the defense to the 2021 form versus last year's form. Now, looking at the schedule, Kenny, you got to love this. They lucked out. They got eight home games. The only bad thing, really, is they have a brutal two-road game stretch in November at Kansas State and at TCU back-to-back. What do you think of that schedule bonus, eight home games? I, I don't like it. First off, I don't like the way college football works it. You're playing 12 games, six home, six road. I get it if you have a, a neutral site game, mm-hmm. okay, and, and maybe that's one less road game that you play, so you're 6-5-1. and one. But when I see these unbalanced schedules – and teams are, you know, sometimes they'll buy a home game from somebody else and give them a check. That's why I love when teams like that get their asses kicked. I mean, I've seen it happen with uh, uh, Big Sky teams going into Pac-12 homes over the last 10 years. There's probably been four of them where not only do they give you a check, but then you go in there and you beat their butts. That's why Mark Hope, my producer, North Dakota State, nobody want to play them, Division One. They're like, no, we're not going to pay that team to come in here and probably beat us. So even the, uh, the good, solid teams from the Big 12 and Big 10 that used to take a shot with North Dakota State is kind of like Gonzaga in basketball. Nah, not – or Boise State in football, right? Or, or and South Dakota, the Jackrabbits. <laughs> South, Dakota State, South Dakota yeah, State. South Dakota State. South Dakota State. The Jackrabbits. Okay, it's the Coyotes of South Dakota. It's the Jacks of South Dakota State. Yeah. I did make some money last year against my producer because South Dakota State, for the first time ever, beat him in the playoffs. Yeah. And then we had Coach Stigelmeyer on the show. And, uh, of course – Marco humbled himself because, of course, he does not speak highly of the Jackrabbits at all. But he got humbled last year only because uh, he'll tell you that his team was a little shorthanded. They were a little banged up. But South Dakota State finally got them. So we're looking forward to that big game. And uh, I really got into FCS football more than ever 
knowing that uh, Mark Hoke's alma mater is North Dakota State, and they are the best at the FCS level for a long, long time. They are the juggernaut, no question. But uh, Baylor, that running game could really help shape and fit in there because you have Richardson transferring over, staying inside the conference to help out Richard Reese. That is a pretty solid backfield right there. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, and and you got to keep in mind that some of their losses last year, I would say, were pretty close. It's just a weird – Baylor's kind of a weird team. And sometimes they do – Really, really well. Sometimes they get blown out. You know, they they go to Oklahoma, they beat them by three. Then they get blown out by Kansas State, three to thirty-one, and then they lose to TCU twenty-eight to twenty-nine. It's just schizophrenic sometimes with these guys. They have the talent though to make some waves. All right, so please, when you hear Sports X Radio, I don't know how long you've been doing that, and I don't ever really want to. It's always the bigger score first in football, not three to thirty-one. It's thirty-one-three. It's bottom line. It is what it, if you're doing soccer or some other crap somewhere <laughs> else, I get it. But it's 30. The bigger score is always first in football or basketball or any sport here in the United States. I don't care what they do over across the pond. It's a little bit different. But that's just a pet peeve for KT on his show. Uh, BYU, next team. And I'm good friends with Greg Rebell, the voice of the uh, Cougs. Kalani Sataki somehow is in his eighth year because three years ago, I thought this guy was going to get canned. But he kind of he right well he righted the ship. He's fifty six and thirty four overall. He doesn't make you much money. He's forty two and forty one. So the juice he's costing you money. It's a Cougs team that lost a lot. Halls out of there as far as quarterback. Uh, look, they've got some transfers coming over, and they do have a good one in Keaton Slovis if he's healthy and if he's on his game. At USC, he was on his game. At Pitt, at times when he was healthy, he was on his game. Now he's there in Provo. We'll see what he brings to the table. Sam Houston, we know that's a good solid program. At the FCS level for a long time, Southern Utah, uh, the T-Bird's not going to be much for BYU. But then they do go to Fayetteville and they go to Arkansas. So I'm looking forward to that game on 9-16. Their first game inside conference play, Big 12, you know, a couple years ago, you'd go, ah, what a great little gimme there for BYU to enter the conference. They're in Lawrence at Kansas. Now with Lance Leopold, what he's done there, forget about it, man. BYU's going to be up against it to beat Kansas. They will be an underdog in that game on the 23rd. And then they uh, get Cincinnati in Provo. So for teams that are going to go to Provo, good luck. Your first time going there, that is not an easy place to win. They have their whiteout stuff going on there. I mean, it, it, it gets a little hectic. If their team is respectable, they're always tough in the trenches. It's question, do they have enough speed? So let's talk a little bit about Sataki's team. You've got Slovis there. Uh, you got Robbins, who's got potential. We know this kid can run the ball. And uh, Deion Smith as well, a couple guys Pretty good. You have a tight end and Isaac Rex. That's a stud, and it's good to see him healthy. And then you got Hill, Epps, and Roberts. Some decent receivers there. Defensive side of the ball. Look, they're always physical. Talk to me about BYU. Yeah, I, I would say this is a big challenge moving to a power five. And the offense is better prepared for the transition than the defense. They, they lost Jaron Hall, but you mentioned Keaton Slovis, your favorite guy at USC who did have success there. He comes in. That's a good pickup. They do have good wideouts, Epps, Hills, Roberts, Rex at tight end, as you mentioned. They did get a local UNLV transfer, Aiden Robbins, a 1,000-yard running back. He gets up there. Uh, they did lose some offensive linemen uh, that from last year, but BYU can, continually produces lots of quality offensive lines, so I don't expect any drop-off there. Here's the problem. Their defense was horrible last year. They gave up a lot of points. They hardly had any sacks. So they have a new defensive coordinator, Jay Hill. He was the head coach at Weber State 
and he's installing a four-month and, four and, and that front. was a hell of a program last year too fcs level that was a good weber state team that's right he's putting in a four-man front because he wants to shore up that porous run defense he also wants the defense to be more aggressive and pressure more so here's a good betting angle i think the secondary might give up a lot of points especially early on in the season uh, they did add some players from the portal to help on defense, notably the linebacker from Utah State who had 101 tackles last year. But the thing is, is I don't think this is going to be enough to handle a lot of the Big 12 offenses. All their road games are tough. Their home games are versus Oklahoma and Texas Tech. Those are going to be tough. I don't see them making it up to 500 this year. Yeah, it could be tough. Uh, you're right about only 15 sacks on the year. Uh, only gave up 13, so they you protected Hall, but he's you know, a good quarterback and was able to get out of some trouble. Uh, 49 tackles for a loss for BYU. They gave up 53, so they got to improve that. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Those road venues for the first time, a lot of them, and BYU not afraid really to play anybody. Uh, they've always been a, a team that will go just about anywhere to, to play anybody, and we saw them go to Coastal Carolina a couple years ago against a very good Chanticleer team. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, it's it, it really tough. Tough environment, but I know those fans wanted to get into a good, solid conference. For years, we thought they could be a Pac-12 entry. Now they're in the Big 12, so we'll, well see what Sataki and the guys can do. When BYU is rolling, that is a great home field advantage. It is tough to play there in Provo. But a, a good betting angle also is never bet BYU when they're favorites. If you're going to bet them, bet them only as a dog, or if they're a favorite, better be like a one-point favorite. I've been burned too many times. Well, you're bad beat bros, but I'll pick and choose my spots on BYU just depending on how good that team gets. Like you said, inside the trenches, I've watched that team hold their own, and last year they did protecting the quarterback, but right, getting pressure, that's going to be trouble. And if you don't improve on that inside the Big 12 where these teams are playing like seven-on-seven football and you don't get pressure on the quarterback, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. It's a whole different level of competition. No doubt about it. Going to take an early break, first segment here. Going to come back. We're going to talk Cincinnati Houston, and then we'll get into Iowa State, and then we'll have the two teams from Kansas, Kansas and Kansas State, here on a Friday football fiasco hour number two, SportsX Radio 101.5 FM Dawn, streaming live on that Odyssey app. Producer Mark Hoke, his show coming up Sunday morning, the best in professional wrestling, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Mr. Hoke, uh, we will check in with you later to see at the end of the show who you have coming on on Sunday. We're live from Vegas PSBR Law Studios. You're listening to SportsX Radio on a Friday night. We'll be right back live from Vegas. Something magic happens Every time you go You make the magic happen The magic of Orioles baseball When the game is close And the yokes are hot There's a thundering roar from 34 to give it all they got And you never know Who's gonna hear the call Every game does a different start That's the magic of Oreo Time for the Orioles tonight, but they got paid by the hour. They didn't care. They got two in the tenth. That gave him a three-one lead over Minnesota. Batista shut the door, got the win, four and one. He pitched two innings tonight. Uh, struck out three, walked one. 
But the Orioles get that win. Now, that's three in a row for the O's. Meanwhile, Tampa Bay loses a heartbreaker to Atlanta, 2-1. to one. The Braves only got two hits, but one of them a two-run homer, and that the difference in a 2-1 victory over Tampa, who has dropped six in a row. So don't look now, but the O's only three games back at 52-35, and 35, only one game back in the loss column. Tampa's 57 and 34. Toronto has passed the Yankees. They're now 49 and 40. Yankees 48 and, thir- and 41. Red Sox playing good ball. They've won three in a row as well. Six and four in their last 10. So they're three games over 500. What a great division. AL East and everybody moving up. And Tampa Bay better get it together or those Orioles are going to pass them and uh, going to be one heck of a year. 91 games in now uh, for Tampa, but only 87 for the Orioles. 52 and 35. Tampa 57. And 34. So we'll keep an eye on that. But they're the Orioles' magic music. If you hate the song, like I said, just bet on them. So when you hear it and it ticks you off, at least you know you made some money, man. That's what I tell some people, like my buddy Dave Deneen. And uh, I think they uh, started, you know, betting on them. I wish Mike Scalia would do the same thing. A Yankee fan, he's so disgruntled. He's so bummed out that we talk about the Orioles all the time. His little Bronx Bombers are sitting in fourth place now. And, you know, he's pouting. So sorry, Mike. All right, uh, SportsX Radio. Dan Saley is with me. Real quick, let me update the Richard Badge and Finley Toyota out-of-town scoreboard. Then we get back to the Big 12, and the Cincinnati Bearcats will be where we pick up. Top nine, Mets and San Diego still tied at three at Petco. 5-2 Colorado rolling top nine in San Francisco. So those are the two games going in the bigs uh, outside of the Dodgers and Angels. Angels had closed within 4-3, but the Dodgers have that four-run cushion back. They're batting bottom eight, eight to four. Dodgers over the Halos, who are so beat up, but the game has gone over that total of eight and a half. There were some nines, including at the Westgate Superbook, nine shaded to the under, but the Dodgers are going to cover that run and a half, it looks like, for all intensive purposes. Earlier today, uh, Philly 4-3, they beat Miami, game stays under, and uh, Philly gets the win with Wheeler against Alcantara, or Alcantara. Uh, 7-3, Milwaukee, a nice win against the red-hot Cincinnati Reds. So a good job by Corbin Burns and the Brew Crew. They get it done. Same 7-3 score. There's Andy Esco. Uh, a, a weird score, but he tells you there's going to be at least two of them almost every night. So 7-3. That's not a common baseball score. The next game on the docket, also 7-3. Arizona, a home win over Pittsburgh. Zach Gallon on his game. He's a big favorite, minus 240. So you lay the run and a half. You still got it. And the game does get over the 8.5. American League, 12-2 Toronto with Manoa back on the hill. 12-2, they crush Chris Wynn's Tigers. Uh, naturally, the game gets over the total of nine. Cleveland Savali shut out Kansas City and Daniel Lynch three nothing. The final there seven to three, another seven three. Wow, that's the third seven three score with Boston beating Oakland, and uh, that game pushing the total of ten. Seattle no problem going to Houston and just bury the Astros ten to one. The final with Castillo in control. How about he was a dog in that game against Hunter Brown and the Astros ten to one. Easy money there for Seattle and three one. We talked about it. Extra innings. Baltimore. Gets the win in Minnesota in 10. Atlanta, the 2-1 win against Tampa. Only two hits, but they made it stand up. And uh, Charlie Morton gets the win over Glasnow. Uh, 3-0. Cubbies over the Yankees. Tyon going back and uh, taking care of those Bronx Bombers against Rodon and the Yankees. Texas, a nice win at Washington, 7-2. Stays under the total of 10 by a run. And the White Sox making Chicago Bill a happy South Sider tonight, 8-7. They take care of business at home against Rob Rishi's Cardinals. They got to Jordan Montgomery, and the Dodgers have added that all-important ninth run. It is now 9-4 to four Dodgers. Meanwhile, 
Winnipeg held on, beat Calgary 24-11, to cover the 8.5, game stays under the 46.5. And, and WNBA, the four games, Washington 96-88 beat Indiana. That was a pick game, game flies over the total. Dallas nips the Las Vegas Aces, told you that earlier, second loss of the year. For the Aces, 80-78, to the final game, staying well under the total in Dallas. Nice little money line there because they were plus 10 in the game. Atlanta, they win in the Windy City. Barry, Chicago, beat the Sky 82-68, to game also staying well under the total. And 75-64, Minnesota Lynx taking out the Phoenix Mercury uh, by 11 points. 75-64, the final, and a very sad note, uh, former WNBA player and former Phoenix Mercury, and she played elsewhere as well, Nikki McRae passing away, succumbing to breast cancer at age 51. And uh, Tracy Murray, who was on the show last night, and then Jerome Williams, Junkyard Dog, saw both of them and uh, texted them that sad news. But both of them knew Nikki very, very well. And a uh, very sad note there from the world of sports. So Nikki McRae, our prayers are with her family. Uh, and uh, we will roll on through here, but we do not forget those that have passed on. Dan Saley is my guest, and we're going to go right back to the Big 12. We're going to get in seven teams here, so we still have five more to go. Cincinnati Bearcats, Luke Fickle, we know he's gone to Wisconsin. Scott Satterfield comes over. Boy, I just look at this team, and I'm thinking they're in a lot of trouble because they lost a lot. Uh, Fickle took a couple or several players from the Cincinnati Bearcats team, and he really built that team up. They made the playoff a couple years ago, and uh, I don't know. I, we'll see what Satterfield can do there. They open with Eastern Kentucky, and then they go to Pitt, so we'll find out right away uh, when he takes on Narduzzi's boys on the road before they get Miami of Ohio, who's still a decent MAC team. And then they open a big conference play, big 12 conference play against Oklahoma in Cincinnati. And that will not be easy uh, because uh, it's a pretty good Oklahoma team. But at the end of the day, Dan Saley, what are we doing here with the Cincinnati Bearcats team? Because they've got a, a tough road to hoe, I think, this year. Well, Kenny, imagine breaking into a new, more powerful conference. And you have to break in a new head coach at the same time. I mean, really, this is just going to be a complete overhaul. Satterfield, he was so-so at Louisville. He was fantastic at App State, but uh, definitely the, the bloom is off the rose at Louisville. They only have one returning starter on you mean offense. At, at Cincinnati? No, no, I'm oh, saying I have, he was so-so at Louisville. Oh, right, right, okay. Yeah, because yeah. I think Louisville's going to be good this year yeah, now no, with Jeff Brown I'm, I'm there. I'm just saying Satterfield was great at App State right. and then just didn't impress us at Louisville. They only have one returning starter on offense. You look at all the skill positions and the offensive line, and it's really just kind of a hodgepodge of various talent levels. Uh, the one big news that we got, we've got a quarterback, the transfer, Emory Jones. My question for you, Kenny, is which version of Emory Jones are we going to get? Are we going to get the Florida version, or are we going to get the Arizona State version? Boy, I'll tell you, Emory Jones, I mean, and you see, again, Anthony Richardson, who actually split time with Emory Jones at Florida. You know, he's in on to the NFL. Don't know how he'll fare, but Emory Jones, I don't know how good this kid is. You're right, very inconsistent. Uh Again, there's a reason you transfer away from schools, and I he, know if, if if it's coaching changes or what. Uh, look, the kid's got some talent. He was there's better no at question. Florida. I mean, yeah. he was better at Florida. He left because Anthony Richardson was there. So uh, I'm just wondering if we can get back to that sort of. Spot. Well, you know what he he's got. Well, you have Xavier Henderson, so Xavier Henderson uh, right there, who transfers from Florida, so knows Emory Jones, and then you've got a couple other decent receivers as well. Uh, Donovan Ali from Washington State comes over. D. Wiggins from Miami. So they, they've, they've got some players. They have three new linemen that are transfers as well. So what I will say is that Satterfield did a pretty good job, especially on the offense, offensive side of the ball. He has seven, right now at least, uh, plugged-in starters uh, that are transfers and three backups that are transfers. On the defensive side of the ball, he has four 
projected starters that transferred over. So, again, if you can mesh chemistry and you can get the most out of some of these guys, because a lot of these guys came from you know, decent D1 programs, that's the tough thing. you gotta, you got to kind of mesh this stuff yeah. together, and you don't have a lot of time to do it. Well, on defense, at least, things are brighter on this side of the ball. On the D-line, we've got uh, Dante Corleone. He makes opponents sleep with the fishes. And we've got linebackers, Deshaun Pace, Dorian Jones. They should be big contributors. But face it, this team has taken a step down in talent while taking a step up in competition. It just does not look good for them. Yeah, it'll, it'll be tough. Look, uh, there's no doubt, you know, Emory Jones can get out of trouble if he has to. But they better uh, they better be good, man, because, uh, you know, Pace Jr. was a solid linebacker with 10 sacks last year. Nobody else had more than three and a half. They had 35 sacks, but they gave up 38. And now you take away some of their better offensive linemen. Again, you got transfers. You're going to have to mesh it together. We'll see what the Bearcats can do under Scott Satterfield first year. But I think uh, had they transferred – and it surprised me that, you know, Fickle – Fickle knows the writing's on the wall. For him to take the Wisconsin job and not take a Cincinnati Bearcat program that he had built up into the Big 12 and want to stick around with that team, to me he knows the writing's on the wall that this team's going to struggle a little bit. So I think that was too big of an opportunity at Wisconsin, though. It was just a great opportunity. It was a good time to leave. But looking at that Bearcat schedule, I'll say this. Week three against Miami of Ohio – that is not exactly an easy play either. So they've got their work really cut out for them. They do. And the uh, Houston Cougars, Dana Holgerson, he get a nice little million-dollar bonus because if they uh, were going to get into a Power 5 conference, that was in his contract that he'd get that cool million. And uh, he gets that cool million. So he's now in his fifth year, 27-20 and 20 overall there for the Cougs. But he'll lose you money, man. 21-24 and 24 against the spread. <laughs> That's not going to get it done. They open with UTSA. UTSA moves into the uh, – I don't I, – American. No, they, they did move into the American Athletic, and that is a good roadrunner's program, man. So that's not easy. Yep. Then they go to Rice. Got to take on, you know, former SC quarterback, man, that's, uh, you know, been transferring around the country, JT Daniels. So we'll see how that all pans out. That's a that's a in Houston, in-city rivalry right there, Houston at Rice. That'll be fun on September the 9th. And then they get TCU at home. So we'll see where Houston is after those first three games inside the state of Texas. In fact, the next two games are also inside the state of Texas against Sam Houston and at Texas Tech. Uh, You have one, two, two other games in Texas against Texas and Baylor. So they spend a lot of their uh, schedule inside the Lone Star State. Yeah, I mean, another team that's joining the Big 12, but – on the on the plus side, Holgerson does have experience in the Big 12 having coached at West Virginia. Uh, I like their quarterback, Donovan Smith. He showed flashes of really strong play while at Texas Tech. And their running back, Stacy Sneed, he's good. He averaged 6.6 yards a carry last year. And they've got a really solid group of wide receivers. And their they're offensive line, they're big boys. And the starters, they're mostly upperclassmen, which I also think is really good. Uh, I think this offense... It could be good enough to upset some of the upper echelon of the Big 12. What say you, Kenny? Well, they also get Tony Mathis Jr. So you mentioned Stacy Sneed in the backfield, but Tony Mathis Jr. comes over from West Virginia. This kid can pick him up, put him down. Holgerson knew this kid and is able to get him to transfer. So I like the backfield. And you mentioned Donovan Smith. Yes, there is a lot to like here. The receiving core, you don't have the household names. Houston's had some good ones over the years, so we'll see. But defensive side of the ball, they've got to make some things happen. They do have three transfers that will be starting in that secondary, so we'll see how things pan out for Houston and Dana Holgerson. 
Yeah, that's uh, so that's the flip side. We have the nice offensive, uh, you know, words for them. The defense was astonishingly bad last year, especially against the pass. You mentioned they did add a lot of portal players, and they needed them. Uh, cornerback Alex Hogan, he missed seven games last year. Hopefully he's going to come, come back healthy. Uh, I don't have much faith in Holgerson, but I think they can actually make it to bowl eligibility if the defense improves a little. Uh, most of their home games are winnable if you look at the schedule, and that's a recipe to get to that bowl game. Yeah, interesting because, uh, yeah, they're definitely definitely up against it. There's no doubt they're going to be up against it now. On the defensive side of the ball, yeah, you talk about uh, you know needing some help, but Nelson yeah. Caesar's a good one. Keep an eye on him on the defensive line. Had four sacks last year, but he's a, he's a good, solid player. And then as far as uh, in the secondary – there's another good player there. Their safety, A.J. Halsey, is pretty good as well. So we'll see how those two guys pan out as far as trying to help that defense yeah. slow teams down. They're not going to stop anybody, but can they slow teams down because the offense could be good enough to put up a bunch of points, and I like the running game a lot for Houston and Dana Holgerson. So that gets us through H, and that means we go on to I and Matt Campbell. Hard to believe he's in his eighth year there in Ames for the Iowa State Cyclones, and they'll open up in-state never easy against a really good year-in-year-out FCS team in Northern Iowa, and then it's that Cyhawk game against Iowa. But they have it at home in Ames this year, and then they go to Athens, Ohio. They'll take on Ohio, use Bobcats out of the MAC. Then they open conference play against Oklahoma State, and I don't know how Gundy's team is going to fare. We won't get to them uh, till Wednesday, next Wednesday, but uh, we'll see how Iowa State prepares non-conference-wise to get into the conference schedule. And the cool thing about the Big 12 is they do play nine conference games. But Oklahoma State will be the first one for Iowa State. That will also be a home game. What about it with Matt Campbell? Because a lot of people thought he'd be at Ames, but maybe only for four or five years, and then he would be coveted enough to go to a big-time Big 10 or or uh, you know even an SEC program. It's like you read my notes, Kenny. I mean, there's a little bit less of a bloom on the rose for Matt Campbell. He, He's taken a step back, and it's, it's really primarily due to their inability to win close games. Otherwise, you're right. I thought he would have been gone by now. Uh, the good news here is you, quarterback Hunter Deckers, he has a lot of what you want. His only bad thing, he throws way too many interceptions. But he's a junior now, and this is it. He needs to take the big next step. Um, I think that can happen because they're under the guidance of a new offensive coordinator, Nate Shilhazy, the former quarterback. I think he can maybe work some wonders there. They do have a good group of wide receivers that I, I think can help Deckers shine. They've got four offensive line starters that are returning, and that should help the running game because the running game was really quite pitiful. What do you think of Hunter Deckers and his ability to take that next step? Well, you know, you, you talk about the offensive line, and that's where Iowa State – Iowa State's much more physical than people would assume, right? A state school and, and not a juggernaut uh, offensively. In the league, although they've put in guys like Brees Hall into the NFL and, of course, Brock Purdy. Uh, but they've got a really solid leader there, probably the best guard in the conference in Jared Hufford. Uh, so he will be anchoring that offensive line. They've got to take care of business. They've got to protect Deckers. That is, that is big uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Look, this has been a solid defense for the last several years there for Matt Campbell, and he has had some great linebackers. Question is, who carries the torch now because you don't have the household names that you've had the last several years for Iowa State. But T.J. Tampa, very solid cornerback, going to lead the way as far as that secondary. Uh, there are some players. There's no question. Jerry Vaughn, the best of those linebackers. So we'll see indeed 
how Matt Campbell's team is able to stack up. SportsX Radio, Ken Thompson, Dan Saley. Uh, Dan, on the five teams that we've covered, because we got the two Kansas teams, who do you like so far? I mean, to, 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 you know, to do some damage. I mean, because Baylor looks like, you know, there's question marks there. BYU's going to be up against it. Cincinnati, we know, is going to struggle. Houston, yeah, again, they, you know, I mean, we're not finding the strength yet in this conference. Iowa State, there are question marks, but you're right. If they keep Deckers upright, that team can win some and games. Iowa State finishing up there. The Cyclones defense has been one of the best in the country since Campbell took over, and I think they're going to be excellent again. And specifically, it's the secondary, and they utilize a three-safety system. This is a benefit against Big 12 spread and run-pass option teams. When they started doing that last year, they noticed a great effect. They actually really shored up the defense even more. I think they can get to a winning record of 7-5. and five. So out of that first group, I think Baylor has the most upside in terms of potential out of the ones we've discussed so far. Uh, but Iowa State certainly certainly in that group of maybe getting a winning record. I mean, I, I feel bad, but BYU and Cincinnati and Houston are going to have a tough time. There you go. Entering the Big 12, and we'll wait and see. We'll still have one more team that's a new entry into the Big 12, and that's Central Florida. So I didn't know because we're going alphabetically. I was like, Dan, are you going by Central Florida or UCF? He's like, UCF. So we'll get to them uh, next week. But Kansas and Kansas State, those are the two teams we'll save for the final segment. Take a break here, our final break of a Friday fiasco and uh, second half, of course, Friday football fiasco, talking some Big 12 football. Ken Thompson, Dan Saley, follow him on Twitter at BadBeatBros, B-R-O-S. Follow Mark Coke, my producer, at Mark Coke Show. His show coming up Sunday morning, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m., the best in professional wrestling, right here, 101.5 FMK. Dawn streaming live on that Odyssey app. The archive will be up, and there's a rewind feature. If you download the Odyssey app, it's so easy, right? Download the Odyssey app, and then go in there. Just search SportsX Radio or search KDON, right? You do that, and you'll see right there, SportsX Radio. Boom, you just click on it, and it is there. The show in its entirety, and it's up, boom, right after the show's over. So it is great, and it's up there for a few days. Or you can go to uh, Twitter handles, at SportsX Radio, or at KenThompson87, and they are all pinned there uh, for that night. And then you'll find them there in the Twitter uh, segment there of at KenThompson87, at SportsX Radio. Final break of the night on a Friday fiasco, Ken Thompson, Dan Saley, and producer Mark Oak, we come back, we keep things rolling. SportsX Radio 101.5 FMK Dawn streaming live on that Odyssey app. Mark Hoke rocking us out here. Final segment, SportsX Radio on a Friday fiasco, Friday football fiasco, part number two. Talking a little Big 12, we get through seven of the teams of the 14. Next year, they go back to the Big 12 with Oklahoma and Texas exiting out and going to the SEC. Let's talk a little Kansas football. Kansas and Kansas State. Kansas State always solid on the gridiron, uh, but uh, Kansas, not so much, but there's a new sheriff in town. His name's Lance Leopold, and uh, Mark Lawrence and I really like this guy. And he's turned things around rather quickly. Struggled in the first year, but last year, very, very impressive. Uh, it was a team that got out of the gate quickly, uh, took care of business against Texas Tech, at West Virginia, at Houston. I mean, just rolled, beat Duke, beat Iowa State. I mean, this team just was surprising everybody. Remember TCU, right? They got to the playoff. Kansas lost that game 38-31. 
I mean, right there. They pushed the spread on that one. Uh, lost at Oklahoma, and we know that, uh, you know, Oklahoma struggled last year, but they lost that game as well. So back-to-back losses, and then they lost in Waco. So three straight losses there, and it looked like, you know, curtains there for Leopold. But then he turned things around, and it's a good Kansas program because he's got a lot of people coming back. And he had some injuries last year, including to quarterback Jalen Daniels. Jason Bean came in, did a good job. Uh, you've got Devin Neal, and uh, he showed outstanding running backs. So this Kansas Jayhawks team, to me, boy, to see Kansas get excited for football. We know the Fog Allen Fieldhouse. We know the midnight practice. We know all that good stuff there. Bill Self there forever, and a team every year is going to vie for uh, a chance at the Final Four and national title. But to see Kansas football get excited, we haven't had that since Mangino back in the day. That's right. Uh, and let's – got to say this. Last year, the most fun conference to watch was the Big 12, which I wouldn't have thought normally, but it was fantastic. And I think a big reason was Kansas breaking through, having that breakthrough year. And uh, good news for Kansas, 16 returning starters. 90% of their production is returning. And a big part of that is that dual-threat quarterback, Jalen Daniels. He's going to start fast again this year. Uh, They've got Devin Neal, he's a 1,000-yard back. And their offensive line, a bunch of upperclassmen, which I love. All their wide receivers return. Uh, This offense should be high-scoring again. What do you think, Kenny? I think it's great that Jason Bean has that extra year, the COVID year, right? Because – I mean, a lot of people look, and, and, and Daniels goes down. He ends up throwing 18 touchdowns, just four interceptions, right? The kid was solid, completed 66% of his passes. And he goes down, and you're thinking, oh, they're done. And Jason Bean steps in and, and really did a nice job. I'm very impressed. I mean, it, the, the stats didn't drop off much at all. Uh, only a 64% completion ratio. He's 14 touchdowns to four interceptions, so a slight drop off there. But very, very impressive. So when you combine the two, you had 32 touchdowns and eight interceptions. I mean, at Kansas football, when the hell does that ever happen? I mean, it's absolutely incredible. It's going to be a fun team. But now they go from being the hunter to the hunted because they have elevated the program and people are not going to take them lightly. They're not going to say, hey, hey, we got the Jayhawks for years and years from the Big 8 on through the Big 12. It's always been Kansas, great, breather, blowout. We should take care of business, especially a home game. Now, not so much because Leopold knows what he's doing over there. It's going to be a fun year. Kansas out of the gate, uh, Missouri State out of the FCS, but then Illinois. Remember, this is a big game. Now, Kansas, they're fortunate to have this game at home because Illinois loses uh, quarterback and running back, but they bring two two of the best defensive linemen in the Big Ten there, and uh, they still have two solid running backs, and you know Bielema's guys are tough in the trenches. I can't wait for week number two. Brad Powers and I talked about it. There's about 10 games week number two that you are going to be able to gauge how some of these teams may do in the near future. But Kansas-Illinois is going to be a good, solid game. And uh, Kansas has the offensive advantage. But Illinois, again, they'll punch you in the mouth too, man. They're not going to shy away. So I can't wait for that game week number two. That's right. I, I am excited for that game. As good as the offense was, the defense was the opposite. They were the worst in the Big 12 last year. And uh, all their defensive line starters are gone. And so Lance Leopold, the coach, he, he's banking on the, the rest of the returning starters improving due to the game, due to experience that they've gained this last year. Uh, but unfortunately, it looks like the offense is going to have to win shootouts again. 
I think though they are poised to better their record to uh, you know seven and five ish. They were six and six in the regular season last year. I think they can take another step forward and get to at least seven and five. Uh, I, I am excited about that game. Their schedule is interesting. They do get some tough games at home: Oklahoma, Texas Tech, Kansas State. Uh, but they got winnable games on the road: Oklahoma State, Cincinnati, Nevada. You know, I, I think they can do good. What they did last year was protect the quarterback, only gave up 12 sacks. They got 24, but they lost Phelps, who had seven of those sacks. Uh, so well, Daniels know, is so say. mobile. He's such a mobile guy. He well, and Bean, to... and Bean, too. And, and, and oh, Bean, yeah. you know, tall, lanky kid, but he can uh, pick him up, put him down as well. So, like I said, not, a much, not much. I shouldn't say not much of a drop-off because you'd rather have Daniels there. But I thought Bean was a lot. I mean, when he stepped in, I thought they were in trouble. But he really elevated his game and was a lot better than I thought he was going to be. So, again, 32-8, and eight, your combination with touchdown to uh, interceptions, a 4-1 to one ratio. You'll take that all day, and Leopold is hoping they can duplicate that. Let's jump over to Kansas State. Uh, you know, climbing solid, man. I mean, this is a guy coming over from North Dakota State. He's in his fifth year now, 30-20 and 20 straight up there at the Little Apple. And how about he'll make you some money? 29-17-1 against the spread. Take that all day. Let's talk a little Kansas State football. They open up with Southeast Missouri State. They get Troy out of the Sun Belt, and then they go to Mizzou, and that won't be easy. That'll be that's a decent Mizzou team that's got a bunch of rest- returning starters, and then their conference play opens with a newcomer, Central Florida. As uh, yeah, Central Florida is going to go to the Little Apple to open up things. So uh, let's talk a little K State next three minutes here. Well, you know Kansas State that won the Big Twelve last year. A lot of people think it was TCU. It was actually Kansas State. But the thing is, they smashed a lot of teams along the way. And you mentioned head coach uh, Kleiman. I think he's arguably the best coach in the conference. But the big get this year is that the offensive coordinator, Colin Optimus Klein, he stayed, and he was really impressive last year. Their quarterback, Will Howard, he's got the size, he's got the strength. He just needs to sharpen his accuracy. I think he's poised to have a big year. But let's not make any mistakes. This is a running team. And a great running team. Now, they do have to replace Deuce Vaughn, but DJ Giddens is very good. He averaged 5.8 yards a carry last year. And they got a transfer from Florida State, Treshawn Ward. He's also very good. Yeah, Ward had over uh, 600 yards, seven touchdowns, better than six and a half a carry. And then really big, the five starting offensive linemen, they all decided to return and run it back. I think that's critical to their chances of winning this conference. What do you think of that? Well, I think that's I think that's big, and I think that they're going to need to throw the ball. There's no question. And and Keegan Johnson transfers over from Iowa. He got hurt last year early on. Only played a couple games there for the Hawkeyes. But he's going to be a starter on that receiving core, and I think he's going to be happy to get out of the Big Ten and that Kirk Ferentz offensive system because that's made for running backs and tight ends. Yeah, we saw Laporta go. You know, in the draft, and, and, you know, they always have good tight ends, but I think that's a big move there. I think they're going to be okay. I think Kansas State, like you said, maybe the best coach in the conference, and uh, it's a team that's, you know, got tradition. And after last year, I think they're going to have a lot of confidence going in. And I there think, is you know, bad news. What's that? The bad news is they've only got four returning starters on the defense, and some of those losses were big. They're NFL draft losses. And so you got a lot of players with inexperience. I mean, they do have talent like defensive end Khalid Duke and uh, safety Kobe Savage. But the problem is the schedule. It's really tough. They get UCF, TCU, Baylor, Iowa State at home, but they have to go on the road to Texas Tech, Texas. 
And they also had that Mizzou game you mentioned, which could trip them up week three. That's going to be a rough schedule for them. And the game against Kansas is in Lawrence. That will be fun. That's the next to last game of the year on November the 18th. So I think uh, I really think that game is going to be a very meaningful game. Maybe not for the Big 12, but it won't shock me if at least one of those two Kansas teams are battling to be that Big 12 representative. We know Texas and we know Oklahoma are loaded. I think Oklahoma State will get to them, but I think Gundy's going to have a tough year, and we'll see how it all pans out, and we'll see what TCU is going to be able to do as well because coming off last year, they lost a lot as well. Dan Saley, appreciate you. Uh, see if we can do Wednesday night at 9 o'clock. You say good over at Steiner's Pub. Uh, come in there and chow down. We'll have some food there on Wednesday night, and uh, we'll keep things rolling. So that'll do it on a Friday fiasco. Thanks to John McLaughlin, who joined us from Wisconsin, and thanks to Dan Saley. Thanks to producer Mark Hoke, and thanks to you, the listeners. Hoke and uh, Volante in on Monday. You know the rules, folks. No drinking and driving, no texting and driving. Most of all, God bless our troops. God bless you live from PSBR Los Studios here in Las Vegas. You've been listening to SportsX Radio. I'm your host, Ken Thompson. God bless, folks. Archives up in a little bit. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Good night, everybody.